It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. And welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is Robert Manny, your host of the show where men and women can be at their best and everybody wins. Guys Guys Radio, a place where I'll bring you information through our guests. You determine if it's going to help you live your best life. It's as simple as that. I just bring these people out here. They're going to tell you what they've learned and you're going to decide is that something that's going to help you. My intention is to help out by bringing this information to the forefront, things that are a little bit out of the box, a little bit different, things that in your busy lives you may not have time to consider. But I think uh, men in particular are starting to awaken, open up now, and they want to get new information. They want things beyond, you know, you want the paycheck, you want the title and all of that, but there's more out there and there's more ways to take care of yourself. And I think particularly if you're a boomer, longevity is an issue now. If you're a millennial, you want to do your own thing. You don't want to follow the exact path as your old man or whatever. So you want new information. So I'm going to bring some things that maybe your dad didn't bring you in terms of information. So check that out. So Guys Guys Radio, we've got two guests today. This is our kind of Thanksgiving special show. First, we've got a musical guest. His name is Luxury, comes to us from L.A., and he's going to play his vibrant, very upbeat, happy brand of music. It's kind of uh, Pharrell meets Earth, Wind, and Fire meets the Bee Gees. It's the place you want to be for good times. Luxury. He's got a new CD that's just dropping. It's called It's Not Funny. It's got a lot of great grooves on it, a lot of great riffs. It's danceable. It's fun. I think you're going to like it. I think you're going to like Luxury. And then we've got a Dating expert, and you know, on Guys Guys Radio, we've had lots of dating experts come on the show and give people advice as to how best to connect, how to make up, how to break up, do whatever. But now we're going to do something a little bit different. I've got a dating expert. His name is George Araman. He's written a book called The Great Dance of Love. But what's different about him is he's from Lebanon. So we're going to get a taste of what it's like to date in Europe and the Middle East area. And I think you'll find that when talking to George, that he's got a system set up through years of research in terms of identifying different types of potential potential partners and his own algorithms for how to kind of make the right connections. But also, I think you'll find out, though, uh, although cultures may be different and the processes may be different, that underneath, you know, love is about making that emotional connection with a partner and love is universal. And I think you're really going to like it. So got a great show for you today, Guys Guys Radio. So here I am, my first Thanksgiving in the San Diego area in Southern California, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I know the weather's not really uh, supporting us that well. It's kind of rainy here uh, in San Diego, but uh, you know, in the back east, I'm from New York, New Jersey area. I spent many years living in New York City, grew up in New Jersey, and you never know what you're going to get Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving's a little bit late this year. And uh, so we go get that cold weather back east. Sometimes you get a nice sunny day, great for football. Sometimes you get dreary, overcast days. You never know what you're going to get. It's potluck, and then you make that dive into the holiday season and then into the, into the winter. And it's interesting because, of course, at this time of year also, you get like one less minute of daylight. Every day leading up to December 21st, the winter solstice, and then you start picking up that one minute. So it's dark at 5 o'clock, and... It's a whole different ball game in the winter. But here in San Diego, I'm getting a sense as to like what falls all about here in San Diego, what the winter is going to be like. And it, what it seems to be is the temperatures are a little bit cooler, but every once in a while, boom, you get one of those 85 degree days. And it's, uh, it's fun because uh, for the most part, the weather's terrific. If you do get a spat of rain or whatever, it's, it, you get a lot of rain when it rains, but 
it's it's not that bad. It's needed too because you know after all this was oh, this was a desert area, Southern California. So rain is welcome. I don't know how to how the heck they keep everything green here that is green, but somehow they managed to do it, and it's really obviously beautiful and picturesque. I'm enjoying myself. My family's enjoying themselves here living in Southern California. It's a real sea change for us. My son is loving going to school here. He eats lunch outside. They have a lot of outside time. It's great. And uh, my wife is digging it, and she has family here. And, uh, you know, as I had mentioned in previous shows, we've kind of learned the the city of San Diego because we're downtown here. We haven't done the whole coastal living thing, but we've got been uh, traversing the city by foot and also using the trolley and stuff and also going uh, up the coast for trips up to Encinitas and Carlsbad and Del Mar and Solana Beach and all the other beaches, uh, Ocean Beach and Balboa Park and Coronado and uh, making the best use of the mass transit while I uh, transfer my license and get a new vehicle here and everything. But it's pretty, pretty interesting learning our way around here, and it is doable. Uh, yesterday, I took my son, my wife, and I, we took our son up to a place called Fashion Valley. It's like a mall, but they have a movie theater there. We hopped on the tro- uh, trolley, which is right behind our building, and we were up there in 15 minutes and uh, saw the movie, walked around a little bit, came back. It was great, so very convenient. We're going to be moving up to the coast eventually, but for right now, really enjoying ourselves here in uh, downtown Southern California. So enough about me. I hope you guys are having a great Thanksgiving weekend, all set up, planned, in process, whatever. And it's Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. We've got two guests. We've got Luxury. We've got George Ironman. We're going to get it on. All right, Guys Guys Radio. As I mentioned, we have a special musical guest. His name is Luxury, and he makes dance music for adults. I got to tell you, he has got some positive music, some fun music, raw, funky bass lines, dusty beats, underpin the space between string stabs, bongo slaps, and guitar jabs, while the steady pulse and astral effects feel beamed in from a more cybernetic future LA. (laughs) Wow. So anyhow, Luxury and I go back because we were both in the advertising business back in New York City in the 90s, and we worked on... Uh, Stolichnaya was one of the big brands we worked on, and we basically helped uh, launch all those Stoli flavors that you see every time you go out to your local bars and stuff. We were behind all that, and Luxury, who at that point went under his his name, Blake Robin. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio Luxury. How are you doing? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on, Bob. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And uh, you know what? I was listening to your music earlier, and I've got so many questions about it. Um, First of all, how would you describe uh, your, your music for our listeners? And how did you get the journey to come up with this new album of yours? Sure. Well, um, so the art, I'm Blake is my name, but the artist identity is luxury, as you said, with two X's, L-U-X-X-U-R-Y. And it's basically disco music. I mean, there's kind of no way around that. Now, as you and I both know, like in 1980 or so in Chicago, with Disco Sucks being kicked off at Comiskey Park, yep, yep. America has for the past, you know, almost 40 years, had the sort of antipathy towards anything disco. It's kind of come to mean something um, uncool or embarrassing. You know, we think about the Bee Gees and big afros, um, but I don't feel that way, and I never have. So at the time I started making disco music about 10 years ago, it was pretty weird to do it. 
And what a lot of things have changed. Um, about 10 years ago, there began what we now know sort of the EDM boom, electronic music became mm-hmm. kind of a more overground phenomenon in America, I'm especially talking about. And um, now we sort of take for granted that we have like electronic music and dance music is just sort of part of the pop culture. So uh, disco has gone from in the time that I started making it being like, um, you know, not really wanted at the party to being having a a space again at the table. So I'm Mm kind of proud that I was doing disco back when it was pretty weird to be doing disco. One of the things I when I was playing the music for myself, my wife, my son is six. And we were all grooving to the music. And I said, you know what I like about this? And my wife said, it's so positive. I said, yeah, there's so much negative music out there. Not to be sound like old man or something, but it's nice to hear something. Right. It's just like, you know, you could do your thing. You can turn it on in a day. You can turn it at night. It's, it's, it's light in a good way. It doesn't like You don't yeah. have to overthink it and everything. It's fun. It's tasty. It's upbeat. And the beats are infectious and uh, luxury you've done a masterful job in pulling great bass lines what i think i think our listeners might want to know is like how did you actually um how do you build your music because you sing you play bass you play lead guitar you do some keyboards you've done djing and you still dj you've got a whole bunch of stuff going on and you know I, i was thinking like you know, if Mozart was alive today, would he be DJing and making music like yours? Or would uh, is it better that he was alive when he was? Whatever. Oh. But, you know, it's this is this is the new frontier. I think if Mozart were alive today, it's the access to the tools that is so incredible. Because the fact of the matter is, because of my laptop, and for me, I use a program called Ableton Live. But, you know, Pro Tools or Logic, you've heard of all these things. They're all mm-hmm. essentially digital audio workstations where you can manipulate the audio at your own pace. And that means if you are good at one thing and not the others, you can either find other people to add their parts to it. You can use products or, or online services like splice.com to sort of grab a couple of you know conga beats or hire somebody to do it. Basically, it's a tool, it's a rather, um, it's a way to make the music that didn't exist 15, 20 years ago that you can complete an entire song or an entire album on your own. Um, again, sort of playing to your strengths and then bringing in other tools or other people as needed when you don't have the strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's how I made the record. So um, do you yeah. sit in your process in terms of making music, do you ever, because you have all these pieces that I mentioned, and then you pull it all together and you produce it, and you are a very, very good producer. It has a very, very nice sound, and it's just clean and fun. But when you're creating the songs, because you're a songwriter also, and it always goes back to the script or the song, whatever, what is your process to create the song? Do you sit down with a guitar? Do you have a keyboard? Do you put a sample? Do you put a beat down? How do you, what's your style? Personally, my obsession in life is every documentary, every book, you know, even just friends of mine who are musicians, I'm obsessed with learning how other people make music and how other people make any sort of you know, art for that matter. And so I've come to understand that my way is my way. And um, what that means is I generally start with a beat. The beat is on my laptop and it's sort of looping. Mm-hmm. And maybe what I've gotten better at is not, I'm a Virgo. So I can be an obsessive kind of left brain, list making perfectionist. <laughs> so sometimes I'll be making playlists filled with songs that I, I, I kind of want to draw inspiration from. Um, but what I've learned is that it just, you start having these way too giant lists of too many ideas and you, it's not, it's anti-creative. 
So in the last period of time, four or five years, when these songs came together, I got better at just throw a beat down. For me, I start playing bass usually. And sometimes I'll kind of mimic, you know, maybe the rhythm of something or just kind of find my way in where I am um, channeling something of the vibe or the spirit of, of, of a song that might be in the back of my head. But what I found very quickly is that even when I'm trying to rip something off pretty blatantly, um, it becomes a magnificent failure. The song Be Good To Me on the album, for example, um, that one, I think, I think Magnificent Seven was what was in my head that day. You know, to me, uh, and tell me if I'm wrong, Luxury, I hear Bee Gees meets Beck meets Earth, Wind & Fire meets Nile Rodgers. Oh, hell yeah. All of the above. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay, and, and one of them had that, that riff, that boogie-oogie-oogie bass line. Which one was that? I think that? you're thinking of Be Good To Me. That, yeah, that's the one I was just referring to. Okay. So that's a perfect example of something that starts with, for me, the beat, the bass line, and then I just make layers on top of it from there. Got it. Okay, well, let's get right to it. Luxury, the new album is It's Not Funny, and the first cut we're going to play is Be Good To Me. Thank you. 
All right. That was tasty. Thank you so much, Luxury. Now, you're working collaboratively or on your own. When you're writing, right. what do you prefer and how do you kind of get these songs? You know, like Keith Richards always says, right. I don't have the songs. I My antenna's up and he's got, definitely got a very acutely attuned crooked antenna. And he says, when I hear something, I just run into my studio and throw it down and then I'll come back to it. Uh, he says, I'm just picking so stuff out of the these, air. These well, these 10 songs, the process, which um, was really a, a new thing for me, was to be, I had a, a collaborator for, with him. His name is Billy, Billy Caruso. Um, I, I believe he's, his face appears on a handful of videos. So if you go to YouTube and type luxury in, he's the guy who looks like kind of all of the Bee Gees merged together. He looks like a young Andy. He's got mm -hmm. a little Barry. So Billy and I would sit down. I was mentioning I would have the beat going and I'd play the bass. And he would be on the keyboards, and we would literally just jam, and it would be whatever came out, um, we would just record. And then we would sort of stop after maybe an hour, maybe three, depending on how much vibing we were feeling, and listen back to what we had. And sometimes all it takes is like one single moment, one bar, where we're like, oh, that's it right there. The rest is garbage. The other two hours and 59 minutes, you know, forget that it ever happened. Mm -hmm. But right here, we have the nugget, the building block of something special. So from there, um, you know, at that point, a lot of times I would just kind of, as the studio owner and the guy with the tools and production skills, I would tend to take it to the next level. Again, I'm not trying to um, downplay his input in any way, but at that, after that initial jam where the germ came together, mm -hmm. it becomes about finessing and um, kind of layering, like with keyboards and maybe some strings and some guitar, uh, building on that core idea until it rises to the level of it's now an inspiration for I put on the vocalist hat and I, I think of it um, I think of it like being a singer walking into the studio and hearing an instrumental track that I need to then bring my melodic and lyrical brain to. So the bottom line is that it's there's a muse factor which part of it comes very quickly. That's sort of like the right brain thing. And then the left brain thing of assessing what you have and choosing what to do next. That's the part that can be very mm -hmm. laborious, can take forever. And for these 10 songs that I completed, there are 90 other ideas that are in right. the trash bin elsewhere. Well, let me, uh, you know, from writing a, a novel, writing two, when one got published, I always kept a notebook and I would write anything down that I came up. I could be walking down the street and I saw you know, a phrase on the side of the building or this, or I heard something on the radio or whatever, I'd write it down and I'd put it in my little notebook and then I'd go home and throw it in this folder. And then when I came out, when I was going to, when I was writing the book, I'm like, I need some imagery. I need something. I need to put a setting where the two characters are going to talk to each other. That's not, you don't want two people sitting at the table all the time. You want to put them in action. And invariably I found that keeping those notes really helped me when you're in your day-to-day -day life, luxury do you pick up uh pieces from just uh, you know things that are in your environment to say i i gotta use that or there's a bird chirping or there's a bell i gotta put that in there you know a little bit but it's just and the funny thing is like i've watched i mentioned the documentaries both brian eno and niall rogers i have heard say the same thing where we all everyone every musician every artist i think has their notebooks but when you have it doesn't take long for the notebook to be like so big as to be useless. Like mm -hmm. Niall Rogers, I heard him in an interview recently where he talked about his, his voice memos. Like now when he has his ideas, he just goes to his voice memos and records right. it. But basically, to paraphrase, he's like, he never goes back and listens to those voice memos ever right. again. So that's okay. Feels, that's okay, though. It probably feels something 
creatively necess- necessary yeah. that you're capturing it. Yeah. But it's I think all of the music that is has been put out was the result of something in the moment in the room. It's very rarely a, a matter of like, all right, well, I need something. Let me flip through these notebooks or these voice memos. It just right. that you lose the flow and it doesn't really work that way. That's just for okay. me, that's been the case at least. All right, let me ask you something else. So you sing, you play the guitar, you play the bass, you can play keyboards, you write the songs, you do the production. What right. are those roles? Do you favor one role over the other? And like, and being a front man is a is right. a whole separate thing because it ain't easy because you have to then yeah. you're in charge of a lot more and then you have to connect with the audience. So out of all those roles and you DJ. So, yes. and that's a whole different thing. And I want to ask you about that too, because I don't think many people understand how hard it is and what a skill it is to be a DJ. So let's start with all the hats you wear. Is there one or two that you prefer over others? Well, let me just say up front is that most of the, the biggest reason why I wear all those hats is a failure to properly delegate. <laughs> like it's almost like, I would be more prolific were I better at sort of selecting and doubling down on any one particular skill set. I mean, I'm being sort of self-deprecating very honestly, but like the fact of the matter is like, I love playing bass and I love producing. And at the end of the day, like to me, the songs are, the music is almost a vehicle for an idea that I like to deliver verbally Mm -hmm. myself for it to feel like my song. So there really isn't any single thing that I feel like to give up would be still my art. Okay. So my, and, and by the way, all of this needs to be in the context of I came to L.A. 10 years ago to be um, a background writer. So I've really I know firsthand what it's like to write songs for other people and be completely creatively removed from the process and to just be thinking, well, I want to make this music something that, you know, Justin Timberlake will want to sing or Britney Spears will want to sing. Mm-hmm. Not, not that either of them ever did any of my songs. Well, but that was let, okay for your yeah. for the for our listeners. Uh, so when you yeah. came out to L.A., first of all, two two questions. One is what? Why was disco your route? Why did you pick disco? Yeah. And secondly, when you got to L.A. and you know it is a tough market. It's the, it's the music market in the U.S. I guess people could argue you know Nashville also, but there's so many great musicians and so many great studio musicians and so much great production that happens in L.A. Right. And you're coming out there from the East Coast and you, you, know, you have all these different, you got a lot of balls in the air. What was your expectation and what was the reality when you got there? And was it frustrating? Was it exhilarating? How did that work for you? Right. Well, it was a, a journey and it was like a roller coaster of all of the above. So I had somebody hear my first album um, and who believed in me. He heard this record that I put out a few years ago called Rock and Roll is Evil, which um, was my first ever songs that I ever wrote and produced and recorded at the same time. And by the way, that kind of uh, speaking to what we talked about earlier, it's because in this day and age, you know, if Mozart were around now, you wouldn't have to, you wouldn't have to separate them. Mm-hmm. You, with the software, can be the person who has the idea, records it, mixes it, and puts it out all in one fell swoop. So that's what I did. And my, that demo, as it were, made its way to a publisher who flipped for it and messaged me on you know, MySpace at the time. And that led to a publishing deal. So I got paid um, you know, uh, an advance to come mm-hmm. and yep. you know, deliver 10 completed compositions, as it were. Um, and it was really hard. But I don't think I knew it was hard at the time because I had the, 
the, the bliss of, of being ignorant about the process. So right. I just walked into the room. I, it was, what was great about it was I would walk into a room and meet somebody I'd never met before, and we would sit down and write a song that day. And that's what I did for three years. I would awesome. meet a stranger. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a really fun kind cool. of not cottage industry, but that's how songwriting is, is sort of done in the background. It's like analogous to maybe screenplays, you know, that people that non-auteurs are making when you write mm-hmm. a script and hope somebody else makes the movie. So that was, that's what happens in the songwriting world for pop stars. Now, okay. I did that for three years. I didn't get a single cut. It was a waste of everybody's time and money, except I learned a lot. Right. I had a great time. And, um, you know, now I know that that's not the right role for me. I'm not Max mm-hmm. Martin. I'm not mm-hmm. Dr. Luke. I'm not Diplo. Those guys power to Mark Ronson. Like these guys, right. I look up to the fact that they are able to do what they do to do it well and to have sales and revenue come out of it is something that I, I, not right. I can well, you, Listen, from. you're on your way. It, luxury, yeah. the name of the album, the new ones just dropping now is It's Not Funny. Why don't you tell everybody, our listeners, like where they can find out more about you, where they can download the songs. You're all over the place, but just to make it easy right. for everybody. So Luxury is with two X's, so L-U-X-X-U-R-Y, and that's pretty much every uh, on Apple and every platform, Apple and um, Spotify and Instagram and YouTube and Facebook. Across the board, that spelling will generally get you me and my, my curly head of hair. Um, and uh, yeah, no, the record is six years in the making. It's 10 songs. It came out uh, just a couple days ago. And I'm really excited to finally get all these songs in the world and, and, and have them heard and hopefully danced to. Awesome. Well, it's, it's, you know what? This is how I describe it. This is where when you listen to Luxury, this is where the good times are. Is that cool with you? I dig it. Yeah, go for it. Let's play it out, Luxury, with uh, the second cut from the new album, It's Not Funny. And the name of the song is I Need You. Thank you, Luxury, for being on Guys Guys Radio. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
It's Guys Guy Radio. Guys Guys Radio, my special guest today is a fellow by the name of George Araman. And uh, we're going to be talking about a book he wrote about relationships called The Gray Dance of Love. George is coming to us from uh, Lebanon today, so that should be interesting. Let me tell you a little bit about him, and then we'll get into the discussion because, you know, on Guys Guys Radio, we kind of got our start with relationships based on uh, the uh, source material of my novel, The Guys Guys Guide to Love. So I love having male relationship experts on. There's not as many male relationship experts, it seems like, as there are women, but there's a lot of good ones, and I think George is going to do a great job today. So let me tell you a little bit about him, and then we'll bring him on the air. Uh, I'm going to read his introduction. By dancing between his heart and mind, George Araman has created a 50-year vision of spreading some much-needed love around the world. So get ready for the relationship entrepreneur. He's blessed to have been friend-zoned by his ex-best friend, and that allowed him to discover his life's purpose. And since then, he's dedicated himself to researching, experimenting, and writing. He wrote this book. It's called The Great Dance of Love, and it shows singles who've been friend zoned and couples, how to create sparks and how to grow and, and have magical relationships, which we all can have. Let's just bring them on right now. George Araman, welcome to Guys Guys Radio. How are you doing, George? Hi, Robert. Thank you so much for this beautiful introduction. And thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm glad to be with you. Let's talk about this book. What inspired you to write The Gray Dance of Love? And why do you call it The Gray Dance of Love? It all happened actually around three years ago. So I was actually friend-zoned by my ex-best friend, and I really wanted to find a solution. So after around one or two weeks of mourning, I was like, okay, I've been into the personal development world for around since 2011. Uh, so it's about time that I find, try to find a solution if I'm not able to find it. And so I read more than 200 books, more than 1,200 plus articles. I did an in-depth experiment, and I put them all inside the book. And the way um, the Titan came up, it was actually um, a funny discussion I had with my ex-best friend a while back. Mm -hmm. We always used to fight between like men are like that and women are like this. So for example, um, men are more into black, they're very much black, and women are much more into white. Men are more into long-term vision, women are more into short-term vision. And so it was like, okay, it's actually not only black or white, it's actually gray. So if you combine black and white, it gives us gray. When you said your ex-best friend put you kind of in the friend zone, so was this a relationship or was this a relationship you wanted to have and she kind of put you in the friend zone, which is not where you wanted to be? It was actually a, a very deep friendship. So we really uh, were very, very, very close. And I really was, I was in love with her. She really loved me, but she wasn't in love with me. And okay. so basically what I, what I understood later on is that what was lacking was the lack of sparks. Mm -hmm. Hence... I started doing all the experiments and I actually proved that you can create sparks with anyone, anywhere, anytime. Okay. In the book, I went through the book and you have a lot of archetypes that you identify, the types of males, the types of females, the nice guy, the bad guy. For, the, to, for our audience, we've got Mr. and Mrs. Bad Sparks, and they're kind of the type A, the uh, ultra-masculine, ultra-feminine woman. Then you've got the uh, Mr. and Mrs. Nice Mirror. Mirror. And then we have the uh, Mr. and Mrs. Friend Amore. And then we've got Mr. and Mrs. Grey Dance. Okay. Now, in your opinion, from doing all of this work and also having the experiences, I think you've got friend zone twice and it was a little bit uh, painful for you. What is the 
problem in your estimation, George, of what relationships are uh, lacking right now? What are men doing wrong? What are women doing wrong? What can they both do better to create the sparks that you suggest can be manufactured, if you will, by anyone? I'm going to answer you by telling you that there are actually two different types of skill sets. And in general, we either have one or the other. This is how we fall into one type of skill set is the dating skill set. This is where, for example, the bad boy and bad girl are really good at it. They can really create sparks just like that very easily, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. But they're not able to build something to last, and vice versa. You also have the other type of skill, which is the relationship skills. They're really good at creating a, a, a good relationship, but they're too nice. They don't have this passion factor. They don't have this, this excitement, this release of dopamine, of adrenaline, it's Mm -hmm. it's like, it's very stale. So they're not sexy. They're good partners, but they're not good at connecting with uh, the opposite sex. Exactly. Okay. Let's give the listeners a couple of tips. Let's give the guys a couple of tips. You want to create some sparks and have women turn on to you. What are three things they can do? The first thing I would say is be present. It's very, 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 very important to be present. And really by being present, I mean to hold space, to have eye contact, and to really listen to what the, the other person is trying to say. Right. So, so pay, atten- already- pay attention, right? Yes. But it's, <laughs> it's just about paying attention. It's mm-hmm. much deeper. It's like, right. because yeah. in general, mm-hmm. what we tend to do is that we, we, we tend to want to answer the person rather than uh, wait for them to tell us everything. So right. we, we have this anticipation, and this actually shows that we're not being present. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we're just there being present, listening with no, with no judgment, it's important to, to listen with no judgment. This is how we, act, we can actually really go very, a very long way to build more intimacy and more sparks with other people. Okay. So I think, uh, I don't even think you need to go into three points for guys. I think if they were present and aware and, number, and paying attention, number one, at a deep present level, that's probably the most important thing a man can do with a woman, Correct. And I would add eye contact. Eye contact is really, really, really important. There's, there's a study by Dr. Aaron, Arthur Aaron, where it's a, it's a very long study, but basically if, if you're able to, uh, to be with someone and look at each other for five minutes, mm-hmm. uh, eye contact, you can actually really know if you can create sparks or not with them. And okay. it really, you can develop a lot. Okay, so when you say that, George, um, and I'm just asking you the things that if I'm listening, I would want to ask. So you, you have to be careful with the eye contact, excuse me, eye contact also, because you're not staring at the person. You're basically just making sure that you're present and it's a comfortable gaze, right? Yes. Yeah, so it's actually the great answer of eye, eye contact. So it's not, you don't shoot the other person. You, you actually dance uh-huh. between the right eye and the left eye. Got basically. It. Very nice. And okay. it actually also applies in business as well. So for mm-hmm. example, in general, what, what we say is um, 80%, it's important to look 80% into the right eye, which is the emotional side, and 20% into the left eye, which is more the business side. And this is in general for people that are right-handed. And so, for example, if you apply this to the business uh, business uh, level, you can you actually reverse it. So you use 80% for the business and 20% with the emotions. This can help as well a lot. Wow, that's fantastic. I did not know that. Um, okay, for the ladies, what uh, do the ladies need to know about men and um, what can they do better? What comes to the top of my mind, I would say it's important to understand the caving time of man because there's a lot of big misconception. And I'm going to give an example, a traditional example. So, for example, both 
the, the man and the woman go to work, then they come back home. And typically what happens is that the man would want to come back home, sit on a couch, and just watch TV. Mm -hmm. He just wants to really forget about his day, right. be inside the TV, and be in his, what we call the blank box. Mm -hmm. And so, in general, what tends to happen is that if, if someone comes and tells him, can you please help me now, or can you do this, th there will be a friction, because this is right. the moment where we want to actually really be in our, in our box, we want to be relaxed, we want to, because this is actually a time where we recharge our testosterone. So it's not just because we want to, it's, it's an important biological uh, point where we actually recharge our testosterone in order to be able to be more present with our partner, to be able to be more loving with our partner. But mm -hmm. we do need this break because the, uh, masculine energy actually disconnect, disconnects from, from a relationship in order to recharge our testosterone. This is very, very, very important and very misunderstood. Right, and it's, uh, it's been proven. And, and you, know who's, you must know who's behind that one was uh, John Gray, right? Yes. Exactly, and it's still, uh, it's still true today. Um, his theories uh, have been proven and they're, they're accurate today also, even though people might say, well, men aren't from Mars and women aren't from B. Yeah, there's some overlap now, but th those archetypes are still there and we have to recognize them to work with them. So good job on that, uh, George. So let me ask you this, living in a different culture, um, and I know all the Middle Eastern countries, you know, they have, every, it's not just the Middle East and everybody's the same. Everybody's got their own customs, just as in the U.S. You know, if you go to New York, it's different than living in Alabama, different than Southern California, whatever. But, um, you know, there'd be a conception, um, probably a misconception that people in America would think like, oh, the Middle East, you know, the women can't drive. They have to wear veils and everything else. How, do, how does... Um, as a Middle Eastern male, how do uh, putting your theories into practice work when you're dealing with Middle Eastern women who I am sure are becoming more um, looking for more freedom and independence and also when you're dealing with American women and also European women? So how does that kind of work for you? Do you get any pushback because you're a Middle Eastern guy and they're like, you know, you're going to keep me down type of thing? Actually, the other way around. So one thing that helps a lot is that we have television. So we watch a lot of American movies, a lot of European movies, a lot of Middle Eastern movies. So we are actually very much connected and we mm -hmm. actually really know how each country, each culture is really about. Mm -hmm. And by growing up, for example, we watch a lot of Disney movies. We know a lot about the mm -hmm. American culture, the European culture. And so it, it really helps a lot to, to understand. Uh, now, of course, there are always extreme cases. There are always people that are going to like us and not like us. Right. And it's fun. It is what it is. Uh, personally, it depends from country to country. So in the Middle East, you have countries that are more uh, reserved than others. Here in Lebanon, we're actually very open. So it, it, it's very easy. It's, we actually copy a lot, if you want, or model a lot, the American, uh, the American and French uh, system. So we do are very much similar. Mm -hmm. So can you make somebody fall in love with you using your techniques? And if so, what would be the three things you would do? Obviously, let's skip over being present. But if you're meeting a new woman, what are you going to do to make her fall for you and create those sparks that you talk about in your book? Okay. So first of all, yes, it's definitely possible. So one of, for example, the participants, one of the participants in the experiment, I actually wasn't um, working on creating sparks with her, but I actually took a scenario where she was a masculine person 
and she she was friends with a guy for more than seven years. He was feminine, and they were really close, and they really liked each other. But for some reason, he was in love with her, and she wasn't. So kind of like my scenario. Mm-hmm. And I actually took her on a step-by-step guide, and she actually got married last year, last June. And she's been happily married since then with the same guy, with this guy. Wow. So when there was no sparks at all, she, she worked on what I gave her, and she was able to do that so what did, what what did um, you know with just the high points? What did you what did she need to do to see why her partner was really the right one for her? Was it that he wasn't uh, kind of outwardly sexy, but he could be a long term stable partner, and she needed that adrenaline, and he, she needed to get over that and realize the true person is inside? Was that type of what you were going for, George? Yes, exactly. It's exactly that. So she was more looking for excitement and, and much like she was, she wasn't feeling these sparks. She was, she really found that she liked the guy. He's really good and really nice, but he's like the, the friend, the doormat, the, the, the person who's always there for her, but never really excites her. Mm-hmm. So we work a lot on creating excitement. And for example, I helped her a lot become more feminine and really accept herself. Uh, the way she was because she used to be like very much into she had a wall and so I helped her bring down this wall um, the work we did together helped a lot because when, when I was present with her mm-hmm. it helped become more feminine at the same time and once she did that she automatically was able to replicate it with her partner That's so there fantastic. were a lot of work we did Mm-hmm. Yes. What was the what was the biggest surprise that you came that you learned for yourself while you were doing all this research and writing this book? There must have been a couple of like, oh wow, I know what I was doing wrong, or like I didn't realize this, or I just came upon something that maybe none of these other experts have come up with. What was the big surprise for you? Did you have any oh wow moments? There were there were three: one personal and two uh, more less personal. Let's say the personal one was the one that. I was Mr. Friend Amore, let's say, and I wasn't really, I didn't know what being masculine was. So when I actually discovered what being masculine was, I was like, it's really, I found freedom. I really found freedom and I was able to be myself. I started really become myself and it really shifted everything around. Mm -hmm. This is from a personal perspective. Okay. from, From a different perspective, there are two things that I didn't see in other authors. The eight relationship archetypes, and I would also mm-hmm. say um, the, 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 the step-by-step guide in relationships. Like for some reason, I was always looking for this, this book that had everything, that had a step-by-step guide that would take us from where we are to where we want to be, and I really couldn't find it. And so there, there's a beautiful quote, I forgot the name of the author, that said that if there's a book that you want to read that you can't find, it's for actually for you to write it. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I, I love that. Fantastic. Well, it's Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. Our special guest is George Araman. He's written this very clever book called The Great Dance of Love, a step-by-step guide to finding love that lasts. Um, would you agree? One last question. Um, I, I interview a lot of uh, female relationship coaches, male relationship coaches, and for the females, they say to a, to a person that women want men to be men in the best sense of the word. In other words, they don't want arrogance, they want confidence, they, they want emotional intelligence, they want guys to be present, but they still want a man to be a man, and they like to be pursued, they like to have a guy who comes up with a plan, they like the guy to pay for the first date, they don't like the guy to be too clinging in, 
pressuring them. They don't want the guy to be, you know, crying all the time. They want a man to be a man, but in the best sense of a word. So there's kindness, there's respect, there's fun, there's emotional intelligence and emotional availability. Would you agree, George? Totally. They actually want Mr. Grey Dance. So they want the passion side out of the guy, the confidence side, the cocky side out of him. They also want the friendship side, the stable side, the side where they can rely on the, on, on the guy. So it's actually a mixture of both. This is why it's all about the great dance. Okay. So yes, I completely agree with you. Okay. And last question, because I, I thought of this earlier and I want to bring it up, and that is um, how important are looks uh, for a man to have? In other words, uh, you know, women are very, very obviously men are visual and they want good looking women. Women want to be with good looking guys also, of course, but it doesn't seem like women are as superficial as men are about looks. They have other things in terms of their priorities and pecking order. How important are looks and from what you've done in your research and for, for a guy, because a lot of guys are like, oh, I'm not a big hulking muscle guy and I'm not, I don't have all this dripping testosterone. I don't know if women are going to like me. And that's not necessarily the case. I think a lot of guys sell themselves short that way. Tell us about that, George. Last question for you. Sure. So actually, there's a section in the book where I, I quoted uh, Mr. Wilcox. I don't remember his first name. And actually, he did a really extensive study that actually shows that confidence is actually the top quality that women are looking for in a man and that good looks are more of a bonus. Mm -hmm. Uh, what actually women are looking for is the masculine energy in the man. They don't, they don't look for the, for the status, the money. They actually look for the masculine energy in, in the man. So the yeah. more masculine the, the, the man is and he makes her feel feminine, mm -hmm. the more she craves him and the more she loves him and the more she's, she, she really wants to be with him. Okay, so that's kind of like a, uh, so a guy needs to have a presence and a, a good presence, not an arrogant presence, but a presence that he seems comfortable in his own skin, and he seems grounded, yet open-minded. Yes? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. All right. George, you did a great job. I love the book. Tell us, uh, our audience, where they can find more about you, about your book, and what's next for you. Thank you so much. We, I just launched the book. It became an international bestseller. Uh, soon enough, I will be releasing a personality quiz where you can take the personality quiz on www.greatanswerflove.com, G-R-E-Y. D-A-N-C-E-O-F-L-O-V-E.com to discover which of the eight relationship characters you are. And then I would take you on a step-by-step -step guide from where you are to where you want to be. Fantastic. And just so the audience knows, the book's name is The Grey Dance of Love, and it's grey in kind of the English way, G-R-E-Y. The American way would be G-R-A-Y. So The Grey Dance of Love. George Araman, thank you so much for being on Guys Guys Radio. I enjoyed it. I love meeting new people. I love hearing about different cultures, and uh, you helped us out, and uh, we really appreciate it. So thanks for being on Guys Guys Radio. Thank you so much, Robert. It was a pleasure being with you, and I really had a good time. Robert Manny's The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a fast-paced tale of flawed men and savvy women competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps. It's the men's successor to Sex in the City. The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stakes world of Madison Avenue. Available now on Amazon and wherever books are sold. All right, great guys, guys radio show today for your 
Thanksgiving holiday weekend. We had some music with luxury. We had some relationship advice from George Araman all the way from Beirut, Lebanon. Pretty interesting stuff. So I hope you enjoyed it. Um, what did we learn today? Well, first of all, music-wise, what's old is new. Uh, you can repurpose things. Uh, sound is universal. And people love dance music. So I think with luxury, you find that kind of combination, that happy kind of combination of Bee Gees, Pharrell, Nile Rodgers, Earth, Wind & Fire, etc. And it's fun stuff. He's got grooves. He's got hooks. And it's, it's, it's fun. And that's the place you want to be because there's plenty of uh, kind of downer music that's out there and luxuries keeping things up. So digging that. Also, George Araman uh, taught us about his process for making the connection with the best type of partner. Now, of course, you have to do things yourself. You have to follow your intuition. You have to follow your heart. But looking at a logical system like George's can have some benefits because there is a process in terms of he identifies kind of archetypes and discusses which ones work best together. And there is some truth to that. So I hope you could take something good, positive out of that and see if it works with your own uh, romantic life if you're single or even if you're in a relationship and see if you, you really match up well by an archetype standard with uh, your partner. KCAA Radio, that's where we're at, KCAA. Guys, Guys Radio, every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific time, we're on 102.3, 106.5, 10.50 a.m. The show is rebroadcast every Sunday at 2 p.m. on Sundays, so you can listen in your car on your way to the beach or coming home or going shopping or whatever. We were on twice. And then the podcast version of the show is everywhere. If you want to uh, support the show, give us a review. Subscribe, rate, review, whatever, on Apple Podcasts, Guys Guys Radio with Robert Manny. All of this, guys, guys, our movement that we put together to help men be at their best and bring out information that guys can use is all founded in my novel called The Guys, Guys, Guide to Love, which is a novel about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps, NYC. And it's really about love and it's about men and how men really are. So for the ladies, it's kind of a peak underneath the curtains, if you will, into the life of men and how they really are. And for guys, it's a real reflection of how we roll. It's been called the male successor to sex in the city. And with that in mind, you know, men don't roll the same way as the ladies, uh, Carrie Bradshaw and her squad. It's a little bit different. Men are a little bit lone wolf, but uh, it all works. It's all good and it's fun and there's truth in it. And that's how we got everything started. Then I started blogging on my website, Robert Manny, M-A-N-N-I.com. There's over 350 blog posts on everything about life, love, the pursuit of happiness. And then we started doing Guys Guys Radio. We're up to around 390 uh, shows. And uh, you can catch us, as I mentioned, all over the place, anywhere for free. Download, download any of the shows. And I think you're going to have a lot of fun with the information that we have because we've had everybody out there from relationship experts to musical stars to authors to metaphysical folks, uh, diet experts, fitness experts, all types of information that maybe we don't think of in our day-to-day -day lives but can be helpful. The main thing, though, is to always tap into yourself, believe in yourself, love yourself. If you raise your own vibration, if you will, just bear with me on this. If you raise your own vibration, you raise your own frequency, if you work on yourself and do the best you can with yourself, it's going to affect other people. It's going to have a ripple effect. So there's nothing wrong. As long as you're not narcissistic about it, improve yourself. Do the best you can for yourself and those around you, and it will have a ripple effect and it will go out there and you'll help other people. 
So guys, guys radio, we're here again every Wednesday. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for your support. We're going to be back next week. And as I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. It's Guys Guy Radio.